Hey, this is John from The Bible Project. Today on the podcast, we're starting a new podcast series on a really big topic in the Bible. We asked our supporters to vote on the next biblical theme they'd like to see us make into a video, and the winner was the Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord is a biblical theme that runs all through the story of the Bible. Biblical authors use it to describe when and how God intervenes in human history to rescue people from oppression. The biblical authors, they have a deep conviction that one true God of Israel is the creator and he's the king of history and that history has a purpose and a goal. And so there's coming a moment where if God's a good creator of all, he will defeat evil once and for all and rescue the innocent and vindicate the righteous and bring about a new creation. In this first episode, Tim and I are going to set the stage by talking about the kingdom of Babylon. The origin story of the kingdom of Babylon is an important part of the biblical narrative, and it's something most of us miss. So what's the deal with Babylon and the day of the Lord? We'll discuss that today. Here we go. So we are doing a new theme video that was voted on. Yes, yes. First time we got to do a vote. Mm -hmm. And everyone who was a supporter of the project voted. And we got 2,500 votes. Mm -hmm. And the winning theme was Day of the Lord. People are interested in end of the world apocalyptic scenarios. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. It's super interesting to think about. And for many people, that's what the day of the Lord refers to. It's about that the final day of judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where all every human stands before God and has a verdict rendered over their life, and they are assigned to one of two eternal destinies. Yeah. I think that's the... The category that we have. Yep. Yeah. And maybe all of the horrible things in history that lead up to that. Well, day. I think what, actually what's interesting is when you use the phrase day of the Lord, mm. when people talk about that, they don't talk about, they don't use the phrase day of the Lord mm. generally. Oh, that's true. They use yeah, the, that's interesting. you know, the rapture and tribulation yes. and end times. Final end times. End judgment. Oh, 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 got it. Is yeah. the main phrase, the right? Cataclysm of history. Yeah. <clears throat> they use, yeah. So sure, the phrase sure. day of the Lord already <clears throat> kind of is mm. helpful in that it, it doesn't have that baggage necessarily, mm, mm, but mm-hmm. I think that's probably what people still tend to think about. Yes. Yep. But for me, I don't have a this robust understanding of this phrase, the day mm. of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So I don't really have a good category to put it in. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping it's a little bit fresh still. Yeah. That that category could be molded. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> By the way the biblical authors actually use the yeah, term. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a phrase. Um, so, yeah, we'll kind of work through where the term originated from. This is one of those things where uh, studying a theme like the Day of the Lord, you can't just study the phrase. The phrase occurs all over different sections of the Bible, mostly in the prophets, Old Testament prophets. But the origins of the idea and where it's rooted in the biblical storyline actually starts way, way in the beginning on in the first dozen or so pages of Genesis. Mm. And it stretches all the way to the last couple pages of the book of Revelation. And it's a phrase that appears all throughout the Bible and an idea that permeates the whole Bible, which is why we chose it as a theme video. 
So the phrase is really just one way to talk about the idea. Yeah. So just to put it all together in just one intro sentence or short paragraph. Right. So the day of the Lord is a is a phrase that refers to a bigger theme arch throughout the whole Bible about how God is at work in history to confront human evil, but specifically on the collective human evil, like the evil of societies and empires and how they ruin and destroy whole societies and people in the world. So the day of the Lord is about moments in history when God confronts collective human evil. um, And it's always associated with some act of liberation for the people who suffer under the that evil society or empire. The oppressed people. Yeah. And so when God acts in history to confront evil and redeem the innocent, that is how God brings his kingdom or asserts his rule over all of creation. So the day of the Lord is associated with all these different things, but basically about how God is king of history, that he won't allow human evil to last forever he will defeat it, rescue the innocent, and become the gracious king over all of the world. Okay, but the way you're describing <clears throat> it is is like an ongoing type yes. of event. Yes, that's right. But it's called the day <laughs> of yeah. the Lord. Yes, yeah. So here, yeah, we'll have to t- talk about um, the, the way the Old Testament prophets, specifically um, who wrote the narratives of the Old Testament and then the prophetic books of the Old Testament, like they viewed history in um, a way that modern Westerners, ha- we have to make some adjustments to the way we think about things to adopt their view of history. Because, we, yeah, we think of the moment at the end of history yeah. when all humani- every human stands before the great white throne of And judgment. they don't think about that? Well, they, um, the prophets assume that that moment's coming. Okay. But they take the language and imagery about that hope, and they use it to describe moments within history, hmm. within their own, specifically within Israel's history. Interesting. And then Jesus and the apostles used it to describe moments in their history. And it's always pointing towards the ultimate event. And it's almost like uh, they view the, the day of the Lord as um, almost like, uh, well, we don't use overhead projectors anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know if anybody... A product of the 90s. Yeah, of the late 80s and 90s. About transparencies. Yeah. But think okay. about a transparent sheet of plastic that has images on it, you know? Okay. You could overlay images on top of each other. Right. And so there's something about the base images of that God's the creator. He's good. He won't allow evil to last forever. There's coming a day when he'll confront it. Yeah. Forever and ever. Amen. And then the prophets. End times. The end times. Yeah. <laughs> the end of time as we experience it and the, the beginning of the, of the beginning of the new age yeah. and the new creation. Okay. So the transition from <clears throat> the world as we know it into the world as God intended it in the new creation. What's that transition like? It's going to have to involve some sort of justice on all of the horrible evil that's been done right. in human history. Yeah. So the biblical authors all just assume that. Uh, but they will also use the language and ideas, images, metaphors, 
of that final act of justice and use it to describe things happening like the downfall of Babylon in 539 BC. They call that the day of the Lord. They will also call that the day of the Lord. Yeah. Like well, they think Isaiah. of it as like an end times kind of event. Well, like a, yeah. Like the, this age is, is ending kind yeah, of it's, thing. It's interesting. I think it's, uh, did David actually think he was a sheep when he said, the Lord is my shepherd? <laughs> <laughs> I shall not want. He leads me. You yeah, know, probably you know. not. So I, I think the prophets could fully distinguish between the fact that Babylon falling to the Persians in 539 B.C., um, but wasn't the end of the world. But in another sense, it was the end of the world sure. as they knew it. Yeah. And the world order changed. The world order changed. And um, as they experienced it, it was a huge empire over much of the ancient Near East. Yeah. that's Look, And that's hard to imagine. I've, mm, you know, mm. I've never lived through something like that. Mm. But if that happened here, yes. if all of a sudden yeah. would feel like America the end of the world. fell <laughs> and yeah. whoever took over yeah. and it was like, it would feel like a completely new reality. Yeah. yeah. Apologies for our American yeah. centric worldview to yeah. people listening outside of the U.S. But yeah, anytime a great empire falls to the people who were under the thumb of that empire or who lived in it. The world's ending. What we're invited into it's a it's the ancient Israelite Jewish Christian biblical view of history that's very different from Eastern worldviews that have like a cyclical view of history. Um, you know, uh, Eastern worldviews uh, that have a like a karma mm. pattern mm-hmm. or a cycle built into the universe. So biblical history that is Jewish and Christian is linear. Mm. It has an or has it a beginning began. point. It's finite. It's moving in a certain purpose direction and there's there are moments that change everything and move it all in a new direction. And so um, the biblical authors all accept that history is going somewhere and that God as the creator of time and all things is going to move things towards a positive end. So there's an ultimate moment when God will confront evil, but there are also moments within human history where evil powers fall Mm -hmm. and the world changes as a result. And these are the kind of moments that are described with this phrase, the day of the Lord. Use uh, a fr- I didn't make this up, but I forget where I, I first learned it. Of uh, little d days mm-hmm. of the Lord, right? And then the capital D day of the Lord, and the prophets. So the capital D being like the final judgment. But then uh, the, the biblical authors will use the language about capital D day to describe little d days mm. um, in their own life experience. The day of the Lord is a final day when. The created order <clears throat> turns over mm-hmm. to be what God intended it to be. Yes. But in order for that to happen, there has to be this 
reckoning of evil. Yeah. Yeah. The biblical view of history is all is not as it should be. Mm -hmm. The world as we experience it is not the way it's supposed to be. And that's the big D day of the Lord. And so there's coming a moment where if God's a good creator of all, he will transition things into a renewed state of creation where life and love and justice and beauty reigns the day. So if someone comes to you and says, mm -hmm. yeah, let's yeah. talk about end times, <laughs> final judgment. Yes. They're talking about the big D day of the Lord. Um, right? I, I think, yeah, in a common Western yes. theological language, right? popular level, yeah, people think end of the world, day of the Lord, end times. Yeah. And they think of that. Like my, my mother-in-law knew we were doing this theme mm, and she came mm. up to me and she said oh you're doing day of the lord so you're going to talk about end times right. like that's kind of what yes, her yeah. mind was at like end yeah. times which in the west is shaped specifically by a couple hundred year old tradition mm -hmm. uh rooted in a theological movement called dispensationalism so yeah that's all gets wrapped up into this idea of rapture and the Antichrist and one right. world government and microchips. Yeah, kind of regardless <laughs> of how that's going to happen. Yeah, right. But that's what a, comes to people's minds. That's what comes to people's minds. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there will be a day. Yeah. Or there will be a moment in human history. Yes. When this age ends mm -hmm. and there's a new age. Yeah. This is a core uh, tenet of Jewish and Christian hope that no matter what subgroup you belong to, everybody agrees on this. And that's the big D day of the, the Lord. The big D day of the Lord is the moment when God confronts evil, removes it from his world, and he restores and heals it into a new creation. What the biblical authors do is they take language associated with that day and use it to describe moments within our experience of history where evil doesn't get the final word mm. and where good and justice does happen. Uh, a good metaphor um, that, again, I didn't make up, it has a long history in biblical studies, is of a mountain range. Mm. Um, so uh, if you live in Portland, you can look uh, east mm. and you see one of the towers of the Cascade Volcanic Mountain Range. You see Mount Hood. Mm -hmm. If you go up to the West Hills above Portland, you see Portland in front of you and then Mount Hood like mm -hmm. in the backdrop. It's majestic. Google it. It's really amazing. Google Earth it. Google Earth it. Yeah. <laughs> you can fly around. <clears throat> Leading up to Mount Hood is this chain of foothills mm -hmm. that go out through a town called Damascus and mm -hmm. then Sandy mm -hmm. and then Rhododendron, Rhododendron and Zigzag. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so when you're in Portland looking out towards Mount Hood, all those foothills kind of merge together. And they become this kind of indistinguishable greenish terrain leading mm -hmm. up to the mountain. Um, but it's ascending yeah. up to the mountain. With its own summits. Yeah. And so from, it all looks kind of hazy. And what dominates the perspective is Mount Hood. Hmm. But if you were to take a quick helicopter ride like south to like Silverton, mm -hmm. <laughs> you would be right in the middle and south. And you would be looking at it from exactly the mm -hmm. side direction. Okay. 
And then you would see, oh, there's Portland in the valley. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, it does slowly rise up to yeah. Sandy. Right. Oh, and that's a really distinct range of hills. And then, oh, there's long, actually, really, it's like 20 miles between Sandy yeah. and Rhododendron. Right. And so you see the space between these. So it's the best metaphor I've ever heard of the way. So, the so when you're in the middle history. of history, <clears throat> it's like you're looking at the mountain range from one perspective. Mm-hmm. The prophets, it's like you're standing overlooking Portland and all of history with the mountain dominating yeah. your perspective. Okay. And wh- that's what it feels like to read the books of the prophets. Got it. And so you can see like, oh yeah, there's foothills, the fall of Babylon. Hmm. But what dominates your viewpoint is that this is one small hill leading up to Mount Hood. Mount Hood. But then... Because the talk about <clears throat> anything and not include Mount Hood when you're looking at that perspective totally. is weird. Yeah, that's because right. Because that's the main yeah. feature. So we'll we'll look at this. There's a famous poem in Isaiah chapter 13 where he talks about the stars falling from heaven and the mountains shake and there's fire and I mean it's like it's the end of the world Mm. and then in the poem he says it clear as day he's describing the fall of the city of Babylon to the Persians Mm -hmm. in 539 BC he says it in the poem itself Mm. but he's using the language about poetic imagery about the, quote, end of the world to describe that event. Um, and so it's that that's the kind of thing that the prophets do. This is what Jesus does when he predicts the fall of Jerusalem in the Gospels. Hmm. He uses, he actually quotes from that chapter of Isaiah hmm. that described the fall of Babylon. He uses Isaiah's poetry to describe the fall of Jerusalem. But he does so in this cataclysmic language. So this is just the way the biblical authors speak. <laughs> Our experience of living in history is within the chain of foothills. And what we see are the event, the hills ahead of us. And yeah, we us. like to really distinguish between all the foothills. Yes. Like we want to like yeah. a lot more clarity. Like are you talking about fall of Babylon or are you talking about the final Correct. judgment? Yeah. And they're kind of like, eh, we're just kind of, (laughs) it's all like kind of melding together in some way. Yeah, well, and yeah, because um, the biblical authors just think so differently (laughs) than modern Westerners do. So they they think in terms of these big plot lines of how God is at work in history. It's a figural interpretation of history. In other words, they view certain key events as being these key images or figures where you have clarity about that was an act of God. Hmm. And then that moment in history becomes fixed and you use the language of that event to describe future events that are like that. And they do that with the Exodus. They do that with the Exodus and they do that with the rise and fall of Babylon. Hmm. And actually, the, the rise and fall of Egypt, the rise and fall of Babylon are the most important biblical stories to understand to understand the day of the Lord and and why Jesus talks the way he does about Jerusalem and its fall and why uh, John in the book of Revelation talks about the rise and fall of Rome. But he never says Rome anywhere in the book of Revelation. He only uses the word Babylon. But he's referring to Rome. But he's referring to Rome and more than Rome mm. at, the same, at the same time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, <laughs> this seems really important for, to understand. And you said it's different than the way we think. Mm. So I just want to take a moment and 
try to make sure I'm okay. thinking yeah. this way. So, yeah, okay. Um, okay. What I heard you say was, what's the word you use? Figural? F- figural. Figural. Or I, I, I kind of like the word archetype because I think it's a little bit more familiar to English speakers. Yeah. To, that if something is an archetype, it means it's like the, the prime example yeah. of which there are many other types of examples. Sure. But they all fall under the umbrella of the the perfect example. Hmm. And so in the, in the biblical author's way of viewing history, the rise and fall of Egypt and the rise and fall of Babylon become archetypes of how God is working in all of human history. Because in Egypt, mm-hmm. God takes down an evil, Oppressor. oppressive yep. empire. And frees his people. And frees. To live under his kingdom and rule. Okay. Mm-hmm. And... And Babylon is thought of as this large, oppressive, evil empire mm-hmm. that has exalted its place itself to uh, the place of God, and so that also needs to be taken down. Mm-hmm. And when it is, people who were oppressed are yes. freed. Yeah, and so that becomes an archetypical way. Is that the right mm-hmm. way to use that word? Yeah, yeah. Of or talk- archetypal, archetypal, typical, archetypal. Mm. Mm. Somebody email us <laughs> answer to that one. Uh, that becomes a way to describe what God's going to do to the whole world order mm-hmm. and how he's going to rescue all people who are oppressed. Yes. And that's the day of the Lord. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So thus, the end of the world in the Revelation, book of Revelation, is, is described as the fall of Babylon and why the prophets often use language of the 10 plagues of Exodus. Oh, what? Let's just go for the last book of the Bible again. The Revelation describes all of these waves of divine judgment in all of the sevens in the book of Revelation. They're just, it's the 10 plagues put in a blender. (laughs) Get recycled. So it's God will, when God confronts evil, ultimately he will do it. It will be the fulfillment of what he's been up to for thousands of years now. He's, he's already been doing this. He's already been doing this. That's and right. if we want to think about what it's going to be like ultimately, mm-hmm. let's use the language yeah. of the stories when he already did it. Correct. In a, in a micro way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, I'm, I know we can think of a good analogy. We all have these in our histories where maybe you have a formative moment from your childhood. I was trying to think about that. Oh, think of like a childhood bully. Uh, or something. Yeah. And, and you stood up to the bully or you didn't. Mm-hmm. And then your life, you mm-hmm. think about the new bullies that you have to stand up to. Totally. The yeah. boss or the neighbor or yeah. the whatever. Yeah. But yeah. the childhood bully becomes the archetype. My dad would, um, all, my whole growing up, would always once or twice a year bring up the story of Freddie Fitzgibbon. <laughs> 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 Freddie Fitzgibbons, uh, his bully in like whatever fourth yeah. grade, and you know p- would pummel him and beat him up. And uh, for the rest of his adult life, my dad was on a mission to overcome yeah. all the Freddie Fitzgibbons <laughs> in, in his, his life. life. Exactly. Yeah. So maybe that's kind of, that's no. Actually, that's not a silly example. It was very serious to my dad. Sure, Freddie. It's it? shapes. Yeah, yeah. Freddie Fitzgibbons was an archetype. That's an amazing name. <laughs> <laughs> Should I believe him? I know. I've never actually asked it him. It sounds made up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, but then as you go on through your life experience, everything gets filtered 
through that formative bullying experience as a mm. kid. So you're a you know lame boss or your mean manager at work mm-hmm. becomes a Freddie Fitzgibbons. Mm-hmm. In the, something like that is what's going on in the Bible's view of Babylon and Egypt and that day of the Lord. But you could take it even further because in the Bible, um, you're saying that God actually was at work in the <clears throat> fall of Egypt. Mm. Or, 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 sorry, at the fall of Pharaoh and that moment of time, mm-hmm. Egypt didn't actually fall. Huh? But anyways, um, mm-hmm. and that in the same way, God will also be at work. Mm-hmm. The, the spirit of, or Freddie himself is not at work in, your, <laughs> in right. your new boss. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's just in my brain that's making a, yeah. a, a correlation. Um, yeah, so this is why uh, in the Old Testament, the hi- what we call the history books are in Jewish tradition called the books of the prophets. Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, and why Moses is described as a prophet because it's retelling the story of Israel, but from the prophet's point of view. So it's Mm -hmm. the prophets who make these connections. Yeah. That when Babylon fell, there was a moment there that wasn't just significant in terms of geopolitics, Mm. but something about God's work in the world Mm. in and through the story of Israel. Um, And that's about, you know, I, I can't claim to have that vantage point to interpret history hmm. um, myself in current events. There are some Christians who do feel what like... What would be an example of that? Um, I think the like a Pat Robertson or Jerry Falwell type who would see an earthquake mm. or a, you know, a certain downfall of a country and then, you know, claim that... that they could see God's hand behind it and find right. reasons for why God would do that. Okay. Because so the prophets would say this happened for yeah. this reason. Yeah. And it's a it's a picture of what's to come. Correct. Yeah. The prophets, the prophets look at Babylon falling to the Persians and they say, yeah, you had it coming. You claimed that you, the kings of Babylon, claimed that they were God. Yeah. So, of course, God's going to take them, take them out. Everyone's life can be thought of as a story that has these kind of archetypical, Mm. archetypal (laughs) (laughs) um, Mm. moments Mm. of of a call to an adventure and then Mm. you you cross the threshold to a new Mm. world and there's these new Mm. realities you have Mm. to battle. Milestone moments where you gain new skills or new Mm -hmm. understanding. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mentors that come to help you, and then you got to fight that thing that you dread, and then you die and are born again into kind of a new season of life. Mm. And that's what like our best stories mm. are about. And um, there's something mm-hmm. mythic mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Um, that when it happens in our lives, we think in these big categories yes of yeah, of yeah. fighting our dragons mm, and mm, being called to this adventure and mm. and it helps make sense of it in the israelite jewish tradition uh the liberation from egypt the defeat of egypt mm-hmm. uh is memorialized as that kind of event every year at passover mm. <laughs> the jewish people for millennia yeah have been reliving the archetypal deliverance and defeat of of evil 
in that in that meal. They have this ritual meal that retells the story of Passover. Of course, that was the meal that Jesus chose to reshape the symbols to communicate the meaning of his death. Mm-hmm. So that's Jesus tying in his own story to this archetypal event. Mm-hmm. And then also the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians um, was memorialized with the day of fasting um, on what's called the ninth of Av or Tisha B'Av. And then this is actually a great example. So 539, uh, excuse me, um, 587 BC was when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. We don't know when, but not long after there was a fasting, a period of fasting that the Israelite people did to mourn and grieve the loss of the temple. But then in later Jewish history in 70 AD, so what is that separated by 600 years Hmm. of history, the Romans, as Jesus predicted, Mm -hmm. came and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. Mm -hmm. And then in later Jewish history from there, those two temple destructions got merged together in this morning, ritual morning Mm. every year called the ninth or Tisha B'Av. Hmm. So on this one day, you're more, if you're a Jewish person observant, you mourn the loss of the temple to the to Babylonians Babylon. yeah. and to Rome. Hmm. Even though they were at different times of the year, they mm-hmm. were, didn't happen on this day. Right. But you've put them together as uh, a moment, an archetypal moment where God allowed the nations to overcome his own people. Hmm. Um, so it's like we create these milestones we celebrate moments and we mm. think about prop up moments mm. or that, moments of loss like a, yeah loss some, or good things mm-hmm. to help make sense yes to bring of, yeah yeah of life yes and so whether that's mm. um defeating a bully <laughs> when you're a child <laughs> yeah my family for a while we had a very tragic event when mm. we were uh, when i was in high school and so every year we would mm. just mm. kind of memorialize that day mm. Um, and so that would be the same kind of thing as fasting because mm-hmm. of the temple being destroyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although mm-hmm. we would eat an, a meal, we wouldn't fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But it helps. Yeah. Kind of makes sense. And they become these moments that then you mm-hmm. anchor things around. Yes. Yeah. Um, yep. So connect that then to this idea of day of the Lord. Mm. Yeah, so the the biblical authors, the prophets, Mm -hmm. who both wrote the history books of the Old Testament and the prophetic books, they have a deep conviction that the one true God of Israel is the creator, and he's the king of history, and that history has a purpose and a goal, and that if you look, if you have eyes to see, you'll see key events in history that are strung together by these connections and they all fit into this pattern and these archetypes. And that's what the biblical story is training your mind to do is to see history this way and to see it all leading up towards the great day and hope when God will liberate his creation and world from human evil and corruption, defeat evil once and for all and rescue the innocent and vindicate the righteous and mm. bring about a new creation. And so these archetypal moments, ritual moments, feast days in Israel's calendar, and then the Christian calendar that flows out of it because mm-hmm. Jesus of Passover and then Pentecost, mm-hmm. right? These become these ways of bringing order to 
our story. Our story. And so that's on a corporate level. And then like what you're saying is we also find ways of doing that as individuals too. And it's just, I, I think it's creating patterns of time. This is January 2nd, 2017, mm-hmm. that we're recording this. I was just thinking about this and I was trying to explain this to my five-year-old son, why this day matters. Mm. Like, why is it, why do we call that day December 31st and this day January 1st? It's not inherent to the universe. There's no like January mm-hmm. 1 molecule. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's arbitrary. Mm-hmm. This is a structure humans have imposed on time. So there's something inherent about um, that cycle. Yeah. Uh, but that the year should begin and end oh, with that cycle. Right. Where, what part of the cycle? Yeah. Why shouldn't January 1st be June 1st? Sure. Or why should, you know. Yeah. And so it's a human construct placed upon, and that doesn't mean it's arbitrary. It's anchored in re- realities mm-hmm. like the, like the, you the know, revolution of the, the revolution earth. of the earth around the sun. And so in the same way, the prophets are claiming that, uh, this framework of viewing history in light of the biblical worldview that tunes you into a divine intent, a divine purpose, yeah. that God's guiding history and that key events in history will give, give you clues about the history's meaning and therefore the meaning of your life, how our lives fit into the bigger story. So uh, this is a good conversation. I didn't actually anticipate we talk about quite this hmm. but uh this is really foundational for how the biblical authors think about history so i'm imagining i'm one of the prophets and i'm looking at m- my history of my my people and there's all these stories i get a perspective a divine perspective of the importance of these stories hmm. um and one of the stories is god rescuing us from hmm being slaves in Egypt, mm. bringing justice to this oppressive mm. people mm-hmm. and and then bringing us into freedom. And I realize, oh, wait, not only did God do that for us, you know, hundreds of years ago, mm. but that's what God's going to do for the whole world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually. Mm-hmm. And so God kind of gives me that perspective of the, that those things are very similar. And so now when I go to write about what it's going to be like mm-hmm. when God comes to do that for the whole world, mm-hmm. I'm using the language yep. of, of the Exodus, of the Exodus story, story and the defeat of Egypt mm-hmm. and the 10 plagues and the, the destruction of Pharaoh and his armies in the mm-hmm. waters. Because um, I want you, the reader, to yes. to understand that yeah. That it's the same kind of that's right. Uh, yeah, activity. The yeah, same kind of whenever a similar kind of evil rears its head, nations and empires and rulers who don't acknowledge that they are under God's authority and they. And I want you to make that connection people, so much. To, yes, I'll call it the day of the Lord. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Yep. And yes, even Which, though it's not going to be the ultimate day of the Lord, it was. Mm-hmm. A day of the Lord. Correct.
so yeah, where does this idea begin? We, we kind of have to start before the phrase gets used, the day or the day of the Lord. We have to start with what the day of the Lord is about God confronting evil. Well, where did evil come from? And why does God have to confront evil? So um, you have to at least try and summarize what's going on in pages 3 to 11 of Genesis. When's the first time it's used? You usually have that trivia question. Um, oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Um, if you're reading through the Bible, both in traditional Christian order or in Jewish order, the first time you come across it is in the book of Isaiah. Mm. It's pretty late in the game. Yeah. Um, the first time you come across it, the phrase, day of the Lord, historically, if you were to rearrange the prophets into chronological order, it would be uh, Amos. Mm. Amos chapter five, I think. Hmm. Um, and, but the idea, the idea is of, way older, the idea of the day, uh, or a particular day or time when God confronted evil as being this archetype yeah. moment that is rooted in the Exodus story itself. So Exodus is the okay. first, first time. And not, not with Babel, Babylon, the Tower of Babel. Um, well, yes, but in a very sophisticated literary way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's important to the theme, mm-hmm. but so, this idea of yes. a day this isn't idea developed yet. A day when collective human evil gets confronted by God. Okay. That's right in the first pages of the Bible. And that's where the day of the Lord theme begins. Okay. And mm-hmm. that's and that's yeah. Genesis 11, Tower of Babel. Yeah. So the way, um, typically, the... Um, in Christian tradition, when we talk about the fall, yeah, um, we think of Genesis three. We think just think of Genesis three in the garden and the yeah. fruit and the expulsion from the garden and right. so on. And so that's t- true. All the word the word fall is never used in that story. Right. Um, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Where's yeah, that, it is. Where does that word come from? Oh, it's a long history. I think it, I don't know off the top of my head. Right. Okay. But um, but it's a fall from. The good that was possible, but that was forfeited. Yeah. So I preferred the term rebellion. Okay. Uh, the rebellion. Which it characterized more accurately what's going on in the story. The humans were given a, a call one. to trust, and they and they went rogue <laughs> one. They went rogue. That's a good rebellion, though. Yes. Yeah. You could think of mm. the kingdom of God as a rebellion against oh, Babylon. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so in a way, the kingdom yeah. is the rebellion. It's the counter-rebellion. The, yeah. But... Th- in Genesis yes. three, Genesis three, humans rebel against God's kingdom. Yeah. So remember the image of God, whole theme of the image of God. Hum- humanity is the royal image of God. God mm-hmm. wants to rule the world through His image-bearing creatures, humans, who yep. will take creation somewhere yeah. on, on God's behalf. So humanity has to define, has to depend on God, mm-hmm. as they try and define good and evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they go about ruling the world and humans decide they want to seize that knowledge for themselves. So what's important is that Genesis 3, just in its literary design, is closely tied to the story in Genesis 4, which is all connected. It's a cascade of horrible stories. Yeah, from from Genesis 3 to 11. All the way to chapter 11. This whole section. Yeah, you can't separate any one story from what comes before or after, or else you'd... Dis- dismantle the whole thing. So we got thing. the fall and the banishment and yes. Cain and Abel and, and the uh, flood. And then Cain building a city oh, okay. full of violence and murder. Then the sons of God and the flood story 
than the building of Babylon. And they're all, they're all connected. So in, in Genesis 3, humans distrust God. Um, they rebel and don't do what God asked them to do. And so the tragic result is that the two humans, all of a sudden, the first casualty uh, when the humans take from the tree is ha- has nothing to do with God. It has to do with each of them. They hide from each They can't trust each other, mm. so they cl- put on clothes yeah. to protect their mm. naked bodies from mm. each other. So now all of a sudden that these two humans define good and evil on their own terms, I don't maybe you and I don't define good and evil the same way. Mm. And then that full vulnerability of naked and no shame is fractured. Mm. And so um, the clothing of hiding their bodies from each other is this very powerful image of the two the humans that were, that were meant to be one flesh are now disconnected from each other. Yeah. Um, and then also then immediately their intimacy with God is disconnected. And the bad guy in that story is the serpent mm. who deceived them. So the next story is about the two brothers mm-hmm. uh, of uh, Cain and Adam Abel. And, Eve. and one brother's jealous against another. And um, God says to Cain, hey, listen, sin is crouching at your door. Mm-hmm. Its desire is for you, mm. but you can overcome it. So it's a very similar story of God approaches and says, hey, now you've got a choice. Mm. What are you going to do? And it's not a serpent crouching at your door. It's sin. Mm. So in this parallel fall story, the serpent gets swapped out for this more abstract concept of sin. Which is like crouching. Yeah, but it's depicted as an animal that wants to eat you up, wants Mm. to devour you. Like a crouching tiger. Yeah, hidden dragon. (laughs) 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 it just came out (laughs) you're the one who said it so Uh, i I had to complete the movie title um yeah 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 i could just picture the tiger yep just like really low through the through the high grass yeah coming up on the zebra yeah and so genesis 3 and genesis they're mutually interpreting you have to read each story in light of each other so what is that serpent well It doesn't say in the story except that it's a creature in rebellion against God. But then in Genesis 4, we learn more. It's it's sin Hmm. come to life, so to speak. Hmm. It's the principle of of failure and missing out on something's purpose or mark, a deviation from what God intends. That's what's crouching. Um, So then here's what Cain does after he murders his brother. He's banished like his parents were. And then he goes and builds a city. And that city is where metal working Mm. and music, (laughs) all kinds of technologies developed in his city, which is awesome. We're going, yes, humanity Mm -hmm. is subduing and flourishing. flourishing. But then uh, Cain's violence is repeated by a descendant of his named Lamech, Mm -hmm. who sings this poem to his multiple wives. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, about how someone insulted his honor by slapping him, and so he murdered him on the spot. Yeah. So, and he says, if you thought Cain should have be avenged seven times, then me seventy-seven times. Um, so it's it's the story of Cain because because Cain mm-hmm. was protected by God. Correct. 
That, and so he, Lamech is saying, hey, if Cain got away with it, That's right. If I'm Cain get got away, away with murder and, and God said, if anyone murders Cain, avenge seven times, then yeah. me 77 times. Yeah. So it's... Taking God's grace and like mm-hmm. using it as license. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he's celebrating murder. Yeah. Whereas Cain murder, murdered yeah. and then, you know, felt horrible and brother's blood crying from the ground and he's yeah. instantly convicted. And But Lamech is celebrating he's un- violence. Yeah. And that characterizes this whole city that mm. Cain has built. Then the next main story is in Genesis 6, the sons of God, which is not just a rabbit hole. It's a black hole. Yeah. <laughs> Speculation. Totally. Uh, but whether it's rebellious angels who have sex with women or royal descendants, k- kings, lines of kings, because mm. the phrase son of God um, elsewhere kings. in the Bible yeah. can refer to uh, kings who are acting just like Lamech of collecting women for themselves. Yeah. Whichever interpretation mm-hmm. is right, I have an opinion, but whatever, doesn't mm-hmm. matter right now. The point is in the story, it leads to more violence. The prelude to the flood story says, God looked at the world, it was corrupt and full of violence. Mm. So violence from Cain to Lamech to the city of Cain and now to um, the result of the sons of God is violence. Spi- it's spiraling out Yes, of the death of the innocent uh, spiraling out of control. So you get the flood story. Again, rabbit hole or black hole, it <laughs> depends. Uh, but the whole spiral culminates in the story of Babel, the building of the city of Babel mm-hmm. in Genesis 11. So we just skipped a bunch. So Genesis, Genesis 6 is sons of God. The yep. flood takes place in Genesis, Genesis 6 through 8. 6 through 8. Into the beginning of 9 is Noah's recommission. And then Enoch's in there somewhere. and. Yeah, Enoch's earlier in chapter 5. Oh, okay. Chapter yeah. Five. yeah. And then what happens in 9 and 10 then? Well, 9 is Noah gets off the boat okay. and gets drunk. All right. And then what that mysterious thing happens in the tent yeah. with Ham. Then Noah utters a poetic blessing and curse on his three sons, which then plays out his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, or Japheth. And then those three sons become this umbrella over the table of nations in Genesis 10, which is essentially giving you, it's kind of like, you know how books, like fantasy books, will always begin with a map Mm -hmm. of whatever. Yeah, it's the map of the known world at that point. Yeah, so Genesis 10 is the map of the biblical world, so to speak, of geography, but not just geography, of people groups Mm -hmm. and where those people groups stand in relationship to God and the mm. people of God. And then in Genesis 11, Genesis, all of them come together? Well, um, no, no. In Genesis 10, they're actually out of chronological order because uh, Genesis 10 already that's presumes right. all these people Are groups scattered. and languages and so on. And but so, in Genesis 11, it's before they've scattered. Yeah, Genesis 11 depicts um, its vision of collective humanity coming together to, to build a city and a tower so that they don't get scattered all over the land. Okay, and so this is the important story that begins the theme for us. Of All yep. of that discussion <laughs> of Genesis yeah. 3 through 11 <laughs> yes. is to help see mm-hmm. how the Tower of Babel is connected to the series of stories that are all describing the fall of humanity. Yeah, it the, keeps... And in the each, rebellion. In each story, the circle of 
influence and the the casualties keep the circle widening, widening and yeah. widening. It's like the ripple effect. Yeah. More and more humans are getting caught up in the violence. So this the, is the climax of it. And so this becomes the climax, and nobody actually dies. It's mm. the least violent story in Genesis <laughs> 3 through 11. Huh. Um, but that's because it's making a different point. Yeah, wait. Well, the flood is a much back. bigger circle than... Oh, sheesh. It's a, yeah. It's the, the yeah. whole earth. Yeah, totally. We should just do a podcast discussion on the flood. Mm. I have a stack of books I need to read. Mm. Not about the debates and yeah. fossil Worldwide records. or regional. Yeah, or no, more about its theological meaning yeah. in the in the storyline of Genesis. But anyway, so yeah, the circle keeps widening. And so Genesis 11 is the capstone, which you think would be about this murderous. Mm. The, it's all been about violence and murder. Mm-hmm. And Genesis 11 is about building temples, ancient temples and cities. And so it becomes this backward glance at all the stories about what is it the humans are doing as they exalt themselves and define good and evil for themselves, and it leads to violence. And so it's the it's the building of the city of Babel. Uh, the Hebrew word mm. of the name of the city is Balel. Bavel. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was just reading that chapter. Yes. That's why. I yeah, Bavel. It's a V. I thought it was in. Well, it's it's uh, spelled with a Hebrew letter B or Bait, but in certain pronunciation forms, you say it like a V okay. instead of a B. Okay. Bavel. Bavel. Um, which, oh, which is related, which is similar to a Hebrew word that... Uh, for confusion. For confusion, which yeah. is... Yeah. So they speak one language. What's that Hebrew they word? Tra- Balal. Balal. Yeah, they speak one language. That's what I was And in that unified effort... They build the city and tower, and God says, nope, you're not going to do that. And he balals Bavel. Yeah, it's a wordplay. Yeah, it's a wordplay. He balals Bavel. Yep. So here's what's But the whole city is called Bavel. Correct, yes. But and there's one particular tower yep, that they're building. whole city and one tower. Well, there's a few key things about this. First of all, um, it's humans unifying in these efforts um, and the technology that they are developing is described in detail in the story. Hmm. That instead of just stacking stones mm-hmm. and using um, mortar. Yeah, it's so old school. Yeah, they mass produce uniform sized bricks hmm. and then use tar. This is ancient Mesopotamian architecture. Yeah. And you can build things way taller and way faster. The brick revolution. The brick revolution. So the so there's a technological development, mm-hmm. which isn't inherently bad. Mm. But last time humans were developing technology in Cain City, it led to a city of murder and all that with land. What, Mac. the music led to murder? Oh, uh, well, no, but it's tied. <laughs> it's like, here's the city, all these great developments. And then Lamech, ah, killed a man. So it didn't yeah. le- lead to it. No, that's a good point. But technology in the hands of people who define good and evil apart is, from God, a problem. leads to the city of Cain and murder. Hmm. In this case, it's human technology tied into a certain kind of pride because what the humans do is they build a city and then a tower that goes up to the heavens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so w- where this is going to go, the very it's, you get the image. We're here on the land. Mm-hmm. I want to be up there in the heavens, Yeah, build a tower to get there. 
Um, in modern English, that just sounds like we want to be closer to the sky. Mm-hmm. I want to see further. Mesopotamia is really flat. But in the ancient world, well, yeah, these kinds of towers had a whole being, different... Being high in the sky, <laughs> that's a great place to be. Mm. Like your mm. your vantage point is much better. Mm-hmm. There's a power and authority that comes from Yeah, you from feel it. something. Yeah, you've, you've had this experience recently. Yeah. <laughs> I was telling you about being in New York and being on the 44th story of the New York Times building. Mm. And it just, you look down and there's just like these tiny little cars and tinier little people just, just mm. crawling around on the street and you just feel above it all. <laughs> and and it just makes you feel kind of powerful. Yeah. Even though you're not, you're the same person. You're just higher up. Yes. And I just started to imagine, mm. man, if I had an office this high, <laughs> I would make totally different decisions would that day be, to day. Would it be good for your soul? No, I don't think it would. <laughs> I don't think it would. I would like... You'd think too highly be, of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. But I think in New York... If you're going to have a powerful like hedge fund or something, you kind of have to. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have to do that. Yeah, interesting. you kind of have to feel invincible. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, there's something about so, that, and then also military mm. reasons having the high ground. I mean, there's mm, just mm. like, and then there's the whole thing about mm. um, where does God live? God lives in the sky. There's that yes. that ancient. The word heavens and the yes. word sky is the same Hebrew word. Correct. And so there's this. I there's this kind of. Mm-hmm where is God's domain? Yes. It must be something like the sky. Yeah, when when the biblical authors and other ancient authors in the same cultural environment uh, depicted God as the supreme God and ruler of all, that's when they would depict God as being in the sky. He can look down. Yeah, you're looking down at everything. Yeah. He's the yeah, yeah in the high rise. Yeah, it's w- a, one of the most well-known things about ancient Near Eastern Mesopotamian Babylonian architecture is these buildings that are being referred to here with the word tower. But um, the only, it's very flat. It's the the Delta region of the Euphrates River. Mm -hmm. So royal palaces could get pretty tall Mm -hmm. and then temples. Mm. um, Those would be the tall buildings. Yeah, which would be the forerunners of the pyramids, these step structures that have four corners all at a diagonal leading up to with a long ramp or stairway. And then on the top is some kind of platform. And uh, up there is a temple Mm. facility Mm. where sacrifices are offered and only the priests and royal officials can go up there. So it's a sacred space. So did they think of this one, this tower, Mm. as a temple or did they think of it as Mm. something else because they weren't trying to they weren't building it for a god yeah they were building it for themselves and so i think the story assumes that you know this yes you know what these structures are yeah so um the the where the narrator leaves it is what the people say is we want to make a name for ourselves Mm -hmm. so come let's build a city and a tower that reaches up to the skies Whatever it means, it's about humans elevating their honor, their name, their power mm-hmm. up to the place of the gods. And that's what the story says, you know. So yeah. we can infer, you know, more and wonder yeah. what kind of ziggurat was it, mm-hmm. you know, and to which god. Ziggurat being. Being the name of this the ancient of kind of temple. Structure yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, the biblical author knows about these structures. Ancient Israelites know all about them. Point is, is this tower is humans exalting themselves to the place of the gods. And that's the culmination of all of these. It's the culminating event of the Genesis 3 through 11 rebellion. Which which all these stories have a bit of pride yeah. tied into them. Yep. Yeah, that's right. So that's that itself is significant. The name of the city uh, in our English translations is translated as Babel. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is that Hebrew word, in the hundreds of times that it appears throughout the rest of the Old Testament, ba- is never, ha- trans- never translated as Babel, except in its one occurrence in Genesis 11. Everywhere else, it's translated as Babylon, because that's what the word means. Bavel, Bavel is, is the Hebrew word for Babylon. Bavel is Babylon. Mm-hmm. Babylon is our English so when you're referring yes. <laughs> to the ancient empire Babylon uh-huh. in Hebrew, that's Babel. Babel, in any period. That's what they call it. Babel. Yeah, and when Babylon much later is going to come take out the Israelites, it's called Babel. Babel. Yeah, in Hebrew, it's the same word. Okay. So, How did that end up becoming Babylon? Babel. Oh, in the. Why didn't we just use like a transliteration and just or whatever and call it Babel? Yeah, like yeah, because for other like Bethel or Israelite neighbors like Moab or Ammon, right. or we don't change. The yeah, name. we don't change it. Um, that's uh, that has to do with the history of the English word. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, we'd have to look it up in the Tyndale translation to see. That would be the first English rendering of the Hebrew word. That would be English. in the Tyndale The Tyndale was the first English translation that was m- made public. Anyhow. So anyway, how the, the word Babel, translated in Genesis 11, is mm-hmm. Babel. It's Babel. Um, and so what that does is that hides from most English readers the fact that this is Babylon. Babylon. <laughs> this is the founding of the what city of What do you think? Babylon. Do you think it would be more helpful for it to be Babylon? I do. Yeah. Yeah, and then put in a footnote, the word rhymes with... The word confusion. For yeah. God confusing because Babel, has that yeah. always been a word to describe confused language or oh. did it become that way because of Tyndale? Ah, that's a good question. And I also don't know the answer <laughs> to that. I do know this is the, uh, if it is, then it's another example. There are many of English words or phrases that have entered English through the early English Tyndale and King James translations right. that wouldn't be in English except for if Genesis 11 had been translated Babylon, we wouldn't be having this conversation mm-hmm. trying to help yes. people understand <laughs> yeah, yeah. that it's the same it's, yeah, Hebrew word. So the reason this is significant, a couple things. First of all, ancient Babylon existed long before it ever came to destroy Jerusalem. Yeah, to be this big world. Yeah, it was, a, it was a powerful nation way back, even before Abraham. Uh, there's a famous king of Babylon called Hammurabi. And he wrote a famous law code that he said he received from the gods of Babylon and so on. So Babylon had been around, but it was not a powerful empire Mm. um, the way it was later in Israel's history. But the fact that the author of Genesis has chosen the founding of the city of Babylon to be the climax, the archetypal climax of humanity's rebellion against God is very significant. You're supposed to think of this city as pretty bad news. Yes. So violence has been reigning from Genesis 3 up to it. 
And now we get the diagnosis of what's the problem of the human psyche, <laughs> individually and collectively, that's leading to this horrible rebellion. And it's, in Genesis 11, this self-exaltation, uh, turning human structures into gods. Yeah. In modern, um, reformed Christianity, the fall is all about that individual decision mm. to eat of the fruit. Yeah. But yeah. But but just as much the fall is also the story of in Genesis 11 mm-hmm. this co- very corporate it's a corporate move towards yes, becoming like yeah. God as a as an empire. Yeah, taking our way of life, our economy, <laughs> yeah. our whatever our technology, co- our collective interests. Yeah. And accomplishments, and then elevating them to the place of the gods, to a, a place of divine status, of worship. Hmm. And that's what the tower is. It's a yeah. center of worship. So it's, yeah, the biblical diagnosis of the human condition in Genesis 3 to 11 is really sophisticated. Yeah, It's personal, the way it affects individuals. And then marriages and families, hmm. cities, communities, regions, and whole nations. Mm. Every one of those gets a gets analysis. Its story, yeah, yeah, it gets its own story. I, I mean, it makes sense. Like a, a damaged marriage or a damaged relationship between two neighbors, that's bad. But it only affects a handful of people. But when mm. a whole society yeah. elevates its own values and definitions of good and evil to divine status, then people start dying. That things can and, really and, bad. and entire people groups become oppressed. Correct. And yeah, there's that's right. a lot of bad stuff. Yeah. So, which we'll move on to the next step then with Egypt. But to kind of bring this to a loop then, Genesis 11 also lays the foundation of Babylon as an archetype because it's the first depiction of collective human evil. But it's also Babylon is where Israel is going to end up at the end of this long narrative arc that stretches to the end of the book of mm-hmm. Second Kings. Yeah. So Abraham is going to get called out of the scattering of Babylon mm. in the next chapter, Genesis 12. And then his family is eventually going to end up back in exile in, in Babylon. Babylon because Babylon uh, destroyed Jerusalem and mm. took its people captive. So Babylon is both at the beginning and ending of the big biblical story of Israel in the Old Testament. And at both ends of the story, it represents this. It represents the rebellion at a civilization level. Yeah. Yeah. That becomes arrogant. Yep. And um, Mm -hmm. corrupt. Yep. And it's not the last time that Babylon exalting itself to a divine status. That's going to be an important motif all throughout the Old Testament in the prophets and so on. Hmm. It's going to continue. So Genesis 3 to 11 is crucial for understanding the day of the Lord. Genesis 11, uh, the phrase day of the Lord isn't used Mm -hmm. in this story, Mm -hmm. but as we're going to see. But the day of the Lord is coming to... Yes. To... uh, To confront this problem. Confront evil. Yes, to confront this problem. And this is the problem. Yep. Yep. Genesis 3 through 11 is describing the problem. the problem that the day of the Lord needs to confront. Correct. Yep. Yeah. That's how this matters. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bible Project Podcast. Next week, we'll continue our discussion on the day of the Lord. 
We just released our video on the Holy Spirit. Check it out on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash thebibleproject. Let us know what you thought of it. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash jointhebibleproject, and on Twitter at jointhebibleproj. You can see everything we're up to on our website, thebibleproject.com. Thanks for being a part of this with us.